to Pastor Life Podcast, where we talk about ministry, church, family, culture, you know, the pastor life. I'm Rhonda Blevins. And I'm David Brown. You know, Rhonda, this is only our second episode, but did you learn anything from our first episode? Do you mean like about ministry or podcasting or... Yeah. Uh, whichever. Well, did you, did you ever watch Talladega Nights, you know, with Will Ferrell as Ricky Bobby? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the scene where Ricky Bobby was, he was being interviewed and he said, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> I felt a little bit like that last week. How about you? Well, I didn't, I don't think I had the hands problem and I think I did a pretty good job of avoiding using the word um, uh, <laughs> but I did find out that my go-to filler words are, you know, you know. So if any of our pastor friends this weekend are looking for a good drinking game, you know, they could go (laughs) back and listen to our first podcast. (laughs) You know, you don't know what you'll find here. You know, you really don't. (laughs) Well, listen, thanks for keeping it real. Uh, Well, this week we're talking about how to carve out Sabbath in our busy schedules and maybe a new perspective on interruptions in our lives and in our work. I think I'm going to need this podcast, David. Yeah, me too. So let's talk about the pastor life. All right, Rhonda, let's jump into our first topic today. Sabbath keeping for busy pastors. So Rhonda, how do you remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? Are you quoting the Old Testament at me? (laughs) Hey, you know, I'm just keeping it real. All right, all right, all right. Well, listen, that doesn't make me feel guilty at all. Um, And I just want to name that you assigned me this topic. And if I'm keeping it real, I've got a lot of room to grow in this particular area. But that's why we're here, right? I mean, to learn, to reflect, to grow together. Yeah, that's exactly right. I feel like, you know, the uh, sermons that I have to write that speak most to me, uh, those are the ones that, you know, seem to come out a little better. Yeah, yeah, totally. I understand that for sure. Well, let's start with seeing if we can agree on something. Can we agree that Sundays for most pastors is not exactly what we might call Sabbath I can definitely agree on that. (laughs) Well, you may have heard the story about the mother who went to wake her church, her, uh, her son up for church one Sunday morning. And when she knocked on his door, he said, I'm not going. And she asked, well, why not? And the son said, well, I'll give you two good reasons. Number one, they don't like me. And number two, I don't like them. And his mother replied, well, I'll give you two good reasons why you will go to church. Number one, you're 47 years old. And number two, you're the pastor. Oh, that's great. That's <laughs> great. We all need a good pastor joke, right? Right. So if we can agree, you know, obviously that it's hard for most pastors to claim Sabbath on a Sunday, then how do we, or maybe the better question is when do we claim Sabbath? Yeah. Um, well, Let's just, I'll talk about my personal experience a little bit. I was doing a little better with that, with finding Sabbath before COVID. 
Um, I had a routine and I had, you know, some scheduled time off when I, you know, wasn't having to also uh, be mother. They were in school and I could take Fridays off. But then COVID hit and my routine was completely shot. I ended up having to stay home a lot and manage the online schooling. My 13 year old, he was pretty self-sufficient with the online schooling, but my six year old needed um, a lot of handholding. And while that's been a challenge, um, I, I think it's important to stop and name that I'm thankful for the flexibility of the pastor life, at least as I experience it, um, and the fact that I was able to do a lot of work from home. But it also meant for me that I had zero days off managing schooling while trying to build a second online campus for my church. I got in a bad routine of writing sermons on Saturdays, and I was pushing so hard at one point. Um, I think it was last spring that I just crashed. Like there was one whole day when I could, I, I just barely got out of bed that day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I knew that. Um, we, we talk to one another pretty regularly. You know, I really resonate with that disruption of the last year in so many different ways. And I'm not sure how great I was doing in terms of Sabbath even before COVID. Right. It's certainly been a challenge with work and family and so many different boundaries kind of blurring. Oh, right. So, you know, I, I, I really get where you're coming from when you talk about pushing as hard as you were. I just, I, I honestly didn't know that you were struggling in that way. Yeah, well, something you may not know about me is that I've suffered from um, like mild chronic depression for, I guess, most of my adult life. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I guess they, the phrase is a high functioning depressive. Unless you lived with me, you probably wouldn't notice. Yeah, yeah. Pastors, we're pretty good at putting up a good front in some ways. Mm -hmm, and right. I know I've done that in the past. I wonder if that was part of you know, you just function in the way you have to function out there mm -hmm. in public as a pastor. And uh, sometimes those other parts of life can can stay under the surface. Yeah, yeah. So pastors can have depression too. Um, so my deal was I was working every day. Um, I wasn't leaning on other people at my church or, um, or other places. Um, and it was probably maybe you, you've heard the phrase Messiah complex. Maybe I had that um, the sense that I had to single-handedly carry the church through the crisis and all of that, it just caught up with me. Um, and luckily I've uh, kind of lived with this depression long enough to know the ups and downs and, and to recognize that I was hitting a wall with it and I knew I needed to make some changes. Um, and honestly, that I needed to carve out some Sabbath, like my health literally depended on it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you use the word Messiah complex and another phrase that I've heard people talk about recently is decision fatigue. Yeah. And I wonder if both of those things, you know, sort of work with one another or work against us together. <laughs> and uh, all of the demands that pastors face in normal times can be overwhelming. And that idea of needing to find the time when the field can lie fallow mm -hmm. and, and renew itself. That's hard to find in the pastor life in the best of days. And we've really been experiencing just such an unusual and demanding time 
that that idea of what's the next decision and how much do I feel that decision weighing on my shoulders and needing to be responsible for the whole flock, yeah, the whole congregation. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we uh, maybe didn't take ourselves quite as seriously as we sometimes do, mm -hmm. I think we'd realize that it's not all on us, but as a pastor, as, as the leader of a congregation, sometimes it feels like it is. Uh, I don't know if that's part of what contributed last spring when you were crashing. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I, the way I've said it is, it, it's like a million decisions and you just have to keep making those decisions over and over again. Uh, so yeah, I was spent. Um, I was spent spiritually and emotionally and physically, just spent. Well, what did you, change? Did something happen after that experience of, you know, staying in bed that day or did something, did, did something change or, or did you begin to see something differently? Yeah. Um, well, I think if I, if I were to put it in a nutshell, I really just had to give up perfectionism. Are you, are we, I don't think you and I have talked about the Enneagram. Are you familiar with the Enneagram? Okay. We haven't talked about the Enneagram. I am familiar um, I, I know that I'm a nine Okay. and uh, I've listened to some podcasts on the Enneagram and uh -huh, read sure. a book, but that is my, you know, the breadth of my experience with the yeah. Enneagram. Yeah. So uh, with all of the different types during times of stress, you go towards another type and right. I'm a seven. And so in times of stress, I, I move towards the perfectionism of the one. And so I just kind of over-function. Um, and that was not okay for my health. And that's what landed me in bed that day. And I knew I had to make some changes. And so I just decided that um, adequate would be acceptable <laughs> and that excellence could wait for another day. Um, it was hard to admit that I couldn't keep doing it the same way, uh, the way that I, I thought of as excellent, but I had to carve out some downtime. I had to carve out some Sabbath. So just those words that you used right then, downtime and Sabbath mm. it kind of brings a, a question to me or, or maybe a, a clarification. You know, how, how do we sort of talk about Sabbath? Is, is downtime the same as Sabbath? In, in scripture, it seems like Sabbath is setting aside a, a whole day or then sometimes there are Sabbath years or Jubilee and, you know, it seems fairly regimented or defined and there's this whole system of Sabbath law around right. it. So I don't want to get all biblical about this, but uh, how, how realistic is it for pastors to think about Sabbath through that, what I would say is sort of a scriptural lens? Yeah, well, there's some interesting Sabbath rules, aren't there? Like um, you, you can't tie or untie a knot is one of them. Oh, I think I'm you can't write more than one letter. You can't walk more than, I think it's 1,999 steps. Uh, huh. Yeah. I wonder, you know, I can't even imagine how you counted that before there was a Garmin or a Fitbit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's think about how Jesus talked about the Sabbath. He said um, that the Sabbath is made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. And I think he was saying that Sabbath is a gift for us to embrace rather than a law for us to uphold. Um, and in our contemporary lives, I don't think that means that we have to lie in bed and watch Netflix one day every week. Although I could, I could really sign up for that right now. 
<laughs> yeah, that does sound really good. I'm, I'm remembering, and this is off the top of my head, but I remember reading an article a while back from Eugene Peterson about Sabbath. Hmm. And, and really the thrust of that article, or at least what I took from it, was that for the pastor or for anyone, when we're thinking about Sabbath, that the Sabbath is about being more than it is about doing. Oh, yeah. And I really have come back to that image or that line. It just seems like a simple way to think about Sabbath. And I know that for me, I hardly ever get Sabbath in a one day chunk every week. Yeah. So that idea of when are we so actively doing stuff? And then is there a part of the rhythm of our life where we're just being and, and sort of resting and knowing that who God created us to be is enough. I, so I don't know how that kind of connects to the way that you think about Sabbath in terms of, uh, of what's the unit of Sabbath or how do you measure it in days and weeks? Yeah. I, well, just on the being and doing, I've got a yoga teacher friend who says, you know, that that we need to stop being human doings and become human beings. Oh, yeah. And I love that. That's great. I've, I've heard that before, but thanks mm-hmm. for reminding me. That's That's great. I think, I mean, I think it's just about carving out time on a regular basis for rest and for recreation, uh, for a change of pace. Um, A pastor friend of mine passed along some advice that he was once given related to this. And he said this, detach daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. Oh, wow. I I have not heard that. I really like it. Say that one more time so we can all hear it again. Yeah, sure. Detach daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. And this is just um, a rule of life, if you will, that gives uh, some structure to our lives, that offers freedom. um, And then that freedom might lead to some joy and vitality. I, I love it. And that thought of a rule of life, you know, something that's simple to remember, but gives us a framework that we can live and grow into kind of give structure to this idea of sabbath i really really like it yeah good. detach daily withdraw weekly and abandon annually yep that's it might even be able to remember that <laughs> and i think you know if we would all do that i think we would find ourselves in a better mental and emotional and spiritual and maybe even physical uh, well-being you know yeah absolutely so do you have any other thoughts maybe specifically for for pastors who are struggling to find Sabbath? Well, yeah, maybe. So I think that one of the biggest reasons that a lot of us struggle to find Sabbath is because of technology and its demands on our attention, um, emails, social media, whatever. Um, And maybe we can just name that it's not Sabbath if you're constantly checking email or doom scrolling Twitter. I raised my hand to that. And maybe we should be mindful to take tech Sabbath in addition to time Sabbath. I like that as well. Tech Sabbath. So what would you, how would you go about a tech Sabbath? I think it's the same thing with a tech Sabbath. You detach daily, withdraw weekly and abandon annually. And that might look like an hour per day. It might look a day per week. And it might even look like a week per year. And mm. I get it. It's easier said than done. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm, 
keeping it real, I'm probably addicted to my phone. And so I'm actually thinking that Lent may be a good time to implement this practice. Um, and then maybe it could become a rule of life. So I'm just tell you what, I'm going to name my Lenten practice to you right now. Uh, maybe you can keep me help keep me accountable that I'm going to take a tech Sabbath one hour per day and one day per week. Um, so a tech fast. <laughs> Here you go. You've said it out loud. I've uh -oh. heard you. all these other people. Oh, have heard no. you. So uh, maybe I'll let me think about it. Maybe I'll join in that with you. Okay. We can make oh. it our Lenten practice together. Well, yeah, it's always better to do it with a with a friend to help keep you accountable. Yeah. Well, and I wonder about that when it comes to Sabbath for pastors, too. You know, um, we all, I would imagine, or at least most of the pastors that I've talked with and know, we all struggle with Sabbath. We mm -hmm. all struggle with downtime. We all struggle with the rhythm of life and finding it very easy to get caught up in all of the urgent things that are coming our way. Yep. Sort of the, 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 the tyranny of the urgent, is that the right <laughs> phrase? Or the tyranny of the immediate? Uh, you know, the thing that's right in front of us always seems so important. And it's easy to push off something like a Sabbath practice. But yeah. if we could find those daily doses of Sabbath and then that weekly and then that annual, you know, that seems like a really good way to frame up a rhythm for Sabbath. Yep. And if we could help each other do it even better, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I feel like that's really, you know, part of what we want to be about with this whole podcast thing in the first place. Yeah, just uh, building a community where we encourage each other and and strengthen each other by by way of relationship. Well, um, David, maybe we can shift gears a little bit. I want to um, there a few years back, you introduced me to a phrase that I hadn't heard before, but I keep coming back to it. Um, and it's a way to kind of think about interruptions in our life and in our work. Um, and it kind of helped redeem interruptions for me. And the phrase is holy interruptions. So I'm curious, did you invent that phrase or maybe tell me a little bit about holy interruptions? You know, I'm honestly not sure if <laughs> we invented that phrase or not, but a church staff that I worked on for 12 years, we had a really great relationship with one another. It was really some of the most energizing time that I've had with colleagues and uh, with a congregation. And it's a phrase that we definitely used Maybe we coined it. I'm going to say we coined the phrase, holy yeah, own it. And it was a great little snippet, a little verbal reminder that we could use with one another that when those interruptions and whatever we had planned for the day, when those interruptions came along, we could hit the pause button for a second, you know, even just mentally mm -hmm. in, in our head and embrace the idea that perhaps this is a holy interruption. Perhaps God is in this. And when all those things that were on our to-do list were having to be set aside, all the things we thought we needed to accomplish for the day, or all the people and programs that we felt responsible for, when all of that got interrupted by the person knocking on our office door or ringing the buzzer out at the main door of the church, or when we got that phone call from a church member in crisis, or when there was a death or someone in the hospital, 
or even maybe when you got that random phone call about that one line from Sunday's sermon that <laughs> pushed somebody's button just a little too hard. That never happens. <laughs> never. I've never gotten any of those. Right. Or one of my favorite holy interruptions was uh, an ongoing one. I would get tied up and busy with whatever I thought was on my to-do list, and I would often forget that I needed to do preschool chapel for mm. the three and four-year-olds in our day school. Right. And especially when my daughter was in those classes, she would say, Dad, you remember when you wouldn't be in the chapel and we'd have to walk down the hallway and get you out of your office? <laughs> and so, you know, one of the really beautiful holy interruptions for me was those times when the preschoolers showed up at my office door and said, Mr. David, it's time for our Bible story. <laughs> that um, reminds me of a story that has stuck with me from the Richard Rohr podcast. I think it's the Holy Interruption. Not Holy Interruptions. <laughs> the, that's what we're talking everything about now. Whole, everything Another is, name for everything. Yeah, is that it? Go. All right. Yeah. Um, and so, and I forget, I don't, I can't remember her name, but it's the woman that's on that podcast with yeah. the, the other two. Um, and she was telling a story about being at a retreat and they were talking about um, like morning devotional time or prayer time or contemplative prayer time, whatever they were talking about at that retreat. And she was naming that as the mother of small children, she, she could not take that time because she had little ones and the little ones were always getting out of bed and coming and wanting to snuggle with mommy. And she said that the retreat leader said, well, maybe think about it this way. <clears throat> that maybe God in that child uh, awakened and realized, I wonder what it would be to go sit on her lap right now. And so God in that child rouses and wakens and goes so that God can sit on her lap. Mm. Um, and that changed yeah. the way that she thought about those interruptions from her little ones. And that has stuck with me, especially um, as I've had little ones too. Right. And I can remember people telling me and telling Sarah, when one of your kids wants you to come and curl up in bed with them at night, and it's not what you want to do in terms of their routine, you know, mm -hmm. you want them to get themselves to sleep and you want to be able to have a few quiet moments at night. But sometimes it's okay just to go curl up and snuggle with them because... Yep those moments are not gonna always be there. And so to be able to embrace them in the present, which is, is hard to do sometimes, but yeah. to be able to embrace them in the present, there is something holy about that. And, you know, I think that holy interruptions, that, that whole notion for me is a reframing or a, a, a mental rethinking of how we look at time. Right. And, it, it's really, you know, if we want to kind of pull it into some of the, the theology or the, the, the biblical tradition and narrative, I mean, you know, there are those two words in New Testament Greek for time, the chronos kind of time and the kairos mm -hmm. kind of time. And the, the chronos kind of time is the time that tumbles forward. You know, you're always moving toward the next moment and it unfolds in a very linear fashion. And it's, it's about routine and uh, schedule and moving step-by-step step through time. Mm -hmm. And then the, the Kairos moments are those moments where everything slows down. 
and where it's the opportune time for God to show up. And when we notice that something's going on outside of just the tumbling forward of time from the present and future. And, and yeah. you know, I think it's a challenge for any of us, pastors, anybody, lay people, no matter what your pursuits in life are, no matter what your family situation is, it, it's awful tough for us sometimes to live in the moment or to embrace the moment. Yeah. I mean, how, you know, I wonder how we stay mindful, um, to recognize that the holy is in every moment and not just in, in our plans. Right. Well, and I, I think it's something that only the spirit can do in us mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. Uh, I think about Jesus and some of the stories we find in the gospels of Jesus being interrupted, um, on the way to heal the centurion son, I think, when the woman touches his robe. Oh, yeah. And the... the Who touched the, me? <laughs> the juice gets sucked out of him. He knows he knows something happened. Mm -hmm. Or the, the wedding at Cana, where I've always imagined Jesus, you know, enjoying the party. And... Um, this is not my time, woman, or something like that, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> and uh, the, the wine is running out, and his mama interrupts <laughs> to, to push him, you know, to the center of the story. Or even, you know, this is, is not the human incarnated Jesus, but the stranger on the road to Emmaus, oh, yeah. where the two travelers invite the stranger to sit down at the table. And when they break the bread, they realize who is in their presence, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, I really see that in Jesus, that ability to tune in to the moment and to be fully present to the people that were right in front of him. Yeah. And in a sense, realizing that the moments that we have with the people who are right in front of us are one of the most holy things in life. Yeah. And yeah. if we're so caught up on our to-do list or what we started the day thinking we needed to accomplish, we might miss the thing that, you know, God's putting right in front of us. <laughs> Yeah, that, as a type A, I guess that um, that's an important word. Um, and especially, I think, with our families, um, I'm a little better <laughs> when it comes to uh, folks at church. But um, with my family, you know, we get busy and um, doing all kinds of different things. And I, I sometimes miss the folks that are closest to me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really resonate with that. And so maybe that holy interruption language is just a great phrase to call ourselves back to that present moment. I, you know, I think one thing I want to say, though, in all of this is, and maybe this will speak to your type A personality, <laughs> I, I don't think all interruptions are holy ones. Mm. Um, and it, it seems like being open to the holiness of the present moment is important. But then there are also moments where we actually do need to set boundaries or prioritize. Uh, yeah. And okay. Sometimes the things that were on our to-do list or the things that we wanted to accomplish in terms of, of what we set out to do today, sometimes those are truly more important than some of the interruptions that we face. Okay. And I think that 
sort of comes back to a discernment kind of piece. You know, we don't have to give in to every interruption or we don't have to give it unlimited time. Yeah. But we ought to approach every interruption as if it could be, as if it had the possibility of being holy. I see what you're saying. I, I was wondering where you were going with that, but um, I think I understand what you're saying. Certainly boundaries are, are vital for a healthy pastor life. And I, I think truthfully, I probably, if, if you're the type A personality that errs on the side of having the to-do list and sticking mm-hmm. to it and really wanting to accomplish that by the end of the day, I, I probably err toward the opposite. Yeah. I probably err toward needing to set more boundaries in my life. And I probably err toward the side of letting a holy interruption become the whole rest of my day or taking me off track of something that really uh, maybe should have had priority Uh over the thing that came up and interrupted. So I think it's really a discernment piece and it's not something that's probably going to have a clear answer or that's going to always be the same answer from day to day. Uh Probably to think about holy interruptions is probably a practice that keeps us open to the present moment, but then we still need to discern how to best use the present moment. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, you were talking earlier about the tyranny of the urgent and um, there, uh, what is it, Covey has that quadrant with the urgent and the important and and some right. tasks are urgent and important um, and then some tasks are important but not urgent. <clears throat> That's the area I think I need work on or maybe a lot of us do. Right, right. Well, and I think what you were talking about earlier in terms of Sabbath and that practice of Sabbath the uh, rule of life way of thinking about it in those different incremental pieces. You know, to me, Sabbath is a key to this because that renewal that we get through Sabbath, Mm -hmm. the the personal, spiritual, mental, emotional resources that we get when we have that ongoing rhythm in life, I think that rhythm of work and Sabbath gives us the capacity to handle interruptions in a more positive way. It gives us the capacity to see interruptions as potentially holy. Um, And maybe that's because those interruptions are sort of calling us to the human being moment rather than continuing on with the human doing of our routine. I don't know. Now, I believe that. I wish I lived that more fully, but I believe that. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... You know, I think as we were lining out some of these episodes, uh, you know, we kind of came up with the topics and then paired them up. And I think these are, this is a good pair, the the Sabbath for the pastor yeah. and challenges and opportunities for that. And then the idea of, of seeing interruptions as potentially holy and using that as a, a mental reminder uh, to be present in the moment with the people uh-huh. in front of us. Um, you know, I guess the place that I was thinking we would wrap things up on this is to think together a little bit about what are the holy interruptions in COVID times? You know, I don't, I don't get the chance for (laughs) the preschoolers to knock on my office door anymore. And there's no buzzer at the church door. And, you know, actually for me, the last few years, there hasn't been a church office where I've had a desk chair or a landline phone. And so the Holy interruptions, just the interruptions in, in general are different, uh, particularly in COVID times, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, um, I think you've been a part of several Zoom calls where my six-year-old has, you know, danced behind me or needed my attention in some way or another. That's a that's a well, an interruption that I had a hard time finding as holy at times. <laughs> well, and we won't uh, we won't let the listening audience in on the fact that I had to take the eight-week-old kitten and put him in the crate before this uh, recording. I loved it when uh, you were doing, you were leading a webinar and you were in the car line picking up your kid from school, leading yeah, that, a webinar. That, that has happened more than once this past <laughs> year. I've done a lot of things from car line uh, lately. Yeah. So, you know, we definitely have these things that are particular to this time and this moment, children in the background of a Zoom meeting, which can be you know, annoying or distracting, but can also be charming and yeah. can break through a, a boundary or a barrier. It can mm -hmm. really make us seem more human or, yes. or remind us of how human we are. That's right. Yeah, I've thought about technical difficulties that we faced in, <laughs> you know, doing worship from a distance, you know, whether that's <sighs> yes. Zoom or recording or whatever, when you've recorded a sermon and you're playing back through it and you realize that the fire truck siren went by <laughs> in the background or whatever. Yeah. And how do we embrace those moments? And can we see even in the technical difficulties where 30 people on a Zoom screen are waiting for us to get our act together? <laughs> um, you know, how, how could that be a holy interruption? And uh, I, th I think that even those sorts of things, when we screw up publicly, uh -huh. you know, those sort of interruptions and in what we had planned are very humanizing moments and moments where actually I think we can connect across, you know, some of the barriers that we put up. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. And I guess one of the last ones I've thought about in COVID times is the unexpected in-person encounters that we have. And I know you're like me, that we have been very cautious in the midst of the pandemic Yeah, and have done a lot of grocery ordering online and have done some takeout food at restaurants to try to support local businesses. But we, we haven't sat down in a restaurant yet um, indoors. And so the human interaction or the lack thereof has really been you know, the headline of this past year. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I think the unexpected in-person encounters, even a few times when I've been, you know, out for a walk at, you know, a park that's not far from here, or when I have been in the grocery store or have been in line at the post office or someplace like that, how much I've appreciated both the random encounters uh -huh. with strangers, but also the encounters when I've walked past somebody and we've both been in masks and then <laughs> we've double done a double take and went, oh, it's you. I would have recognized you in the mask. <laughs> so maybe there are even opportunities to see some of the chance encounters, the in-person encounters, especially when we're not interacting in flesh and bone all that often. I never realized how how much I wanted to hug people until I couldn't anymore. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and so it's in some ways it's made me appreciate a lot of people a lot more. 
Yeah. I was out at a community event yesterday and um, saw several people that I hadn't seen in a while. And that moment when you were trying to figure out <laughs> what, what do we do? What do we do? And right. We, and know, the we air were, hug, you know, it's just also going awkward. toward the hug or the handshake <laughs> or the elbow. And, you know, we weren't real sure. Yeah. So I, I hope, you know, that we'll look back on these moments and uh, from some distant place in the future and be able to see some of the holiness in what might have been mundane or what yeah. we might have taken for granted in the past. Yeah, and thank you for that reminder. I think that's a good perspective. Well, David, does that wrap it up for this episode of Pastor Life from Pinnacle Leadership Associates? I think it does. This was good. I always enjoy sitting down with a cup of coffee or tea and just uh, talking about life with you. So thanks, Rhonda. Yeah, thank you, David. Well, that concludes this episode of Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. Be sure and check out our website at pinlead.com. That's P-I-N-N-L-E-A-D.com for clergy coaching, church consulting, as well as resources for leading adaptive change in your congregations. You'll also want to sign up for our weekly e-news with relevant articles and other resources from our team, as well as information about upcoming webinars and coaching cohorts. Well, Rhonda, I know I used a few more you knows as we went through our podcast. You know, I didn't even notice. (laughs) But I wonder, did you figure out what to do with your hands? (laughs) Well, couldn't you tell I've been sitting on them this entire time? (laughs) Oh, so that's how you did it.